So how many of you like to hear good news? Okay, amen. I got some amens. You know, I, I remember at the very uh, early part of the pandemic, there was a YouTube series that came out, Some Good News. It was once a week, and there were some videos that were pointed, uh, coming out. And uh, each week, this person that led the, the uh, YouTube channel was just sharing heartwarming stories that were happening in the mid- or beginning of the pandemic. Because really, at that point, we were all thinking, oh gosh, the, the end of the world is coming. Um, so, you know, good news is good for the soul. I mean, seriously, who doesn't, who doesn't like to hear good news? But what about difficult news? How many of us like difficult news? Yeah, not so much. Uh, you know, we're talking about news that rocks your world, that, that changes the course of um, where you're headed and, and what's happening around you. Uh, we don't like that kind of news. Um, you know, sometimes good news and, and not so good news goes together. Um, you know, you can have good news, like for us, like we have a hunting dog. So we have a, a dog at home, Rooney, who's a basset hound. Basset is French for low. It's, she's a low hound. She was bred to hunt. Good news is if I ever wanted to use her for hunting, she would be good for that purpose. The bad news was thir- or Friday afternoon at my parents' house, she was in the backyard and two deer came through and she ran off. Now, there was a fence and apparently the ground had shifted and the fence pulled away and there was just enough a gap. So if you've ever seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, at the end of the movie, Ferris is trying to get home after skipping school all day. And he's running through, and he's running through people's houses and yards and everything, trying to get back home before his parents get home. That was me chasing Rooney <laughs> on Christmas Eve. You know, so, you know, good news. But the bad news is she tried to use her hunting at a time that was inopportune. Anna wanted me to share that story, so I had to figure out how to work it into my sermon. So, um, But more importantly, right, Christmas is like that. It's truly good news for all the people that we remember that on Christmas morning, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. And I pray that no matter what the circumstances of your life are right now in this moment, that during this season, you have had a moment, a time to reflect and to focus on the good news that a Savior has been born. But in the near shadow of the joy that accompanies the good news of great joy, that today for us is a Savior, Christ the Lord. That there is the promise that that child will face a difficult time during his earthly ministry. I'm not sure we always process the difficulty of the life of Jesus during Christmas. You know, we focus on the, the baby and the nativity and the shepherds and the angels and, and all of the wonderful heartwarming stories of promise and fulfilled promise and all of the, the things that go along with good news of great joy for everyone. But often during the Christmas season, we're not focusing on the challenges and the difficulties and the times that Jesus was misunderstood and the times that he was mocked and the, the times that they lied about him and the times that people didn't listen to him and the times that... They falsely accused him in the times that they tried him and beat him and scourged him 
and ultimately crucified him. We don't think about those things often during Christmas. But that's what Luke chapter 2 confronts us with in our, our passage this morning. We have good news followed by not so good news that turns into good news. And so we're going to skip ahead in our holidays because we're reminded this morning that because of Christmas, there will be a Good Friday. A Savior born so a Savior could die. And while it's not specifically said that way here, enough is said to Mary, the mother of Jesus, to take note that her son's birth will bring difficulty for her. And for us, we hold on to the joy of Christmas. I mean, all of the events of the gospel narratives of the life and ministry of Jesus doesn't change the good news. It enhances it. It strengthens it. It it upholds it. We hold on to the joy of Christmas because we know that there is a Good Friday, and we know that after Good Friday, there's a Resurrection Sunday. This child will accomplish his mission, the reason why he was sent. Jesus came for one reason, to save us. And as a result, we find victory over sin and death. The innocent one bears our guilt, and the guilty ones are declared innocent. What grace. And it's, it's all wrapped up in this good news of great joy for all the people. And so as we look at Luke chapter 2 this morning, I pray we see the sufficiency of our Savior and hold on to the promises of His birth because it truly brings good news of great joy knowing that God has accomplished His salvation for us. Nothing else is needed. Nothing else. Nobody else will come. Jesus is truly enough. It's important for us to see when we're tempted to think that we've got to try harder. It's important for us to see when we want to add to the story or think that maybe he's not going to come. When we consider Christmas and the gift of a babe, an all-sufficient Savior, when we're tempted to think that Jesus is not able, the Scriptures shout to us that Jesus is, is an all-sufficient Savior. And we need passages like Luke chapter 2 to bolster our faith. This passage does so by encouraging us to see the faith of two people that come in contact with the infant Jesus. And these two people have been longing to see the promised Messiah. Two Jewish people living in Israel 2,000 years ago, Every day they woke up longing, hungry to see the deliverance that God has promised. I wonder for us, 
How do we respond to the presence of Jesus? Is He all that we are longing for? I don't know if you got everything that you had on your Christmas list yesterday. But do you know that you have all that you will ever need through Jesus Christ? For us to know the joy that Christmas brings, Jesus must be all that we are looking for. We're invited into that, and it begins in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 21 for you. Now, last week we finished in, in verse 20 the, the shepherds going back after visiting the Christ child in the manger, in the feeding trough. We read in verse 21 that eight days had passed after, and when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so Luke invites us in this one verse to see what happened in the first days of our Lord's life. After the eight days had passed, Jesus was circumcised as commanded by the law. We read in Genesis 17 that at the beginning of the relationship that God had with the forefather Abraham, that a sign of that relationship would be that Abraham would circumcise himself as a sign of the covenant of the promise and that all of Abraham's descendants, all the male descendants that come from him would be circumcised to be a part of the covenant. When Jesus, God's son, was born, he was circumcised, why? To identify with the people of Israel. Jesus, as Israel's Savior, born from the blood of a Jewish person, identified with the people that he came to save. It was at the eighth day that they would name the child. Now, sometimes mom and dad would have names picked out. They would know, but it was on the eighth day when when the male child was circumcised that they would be named. And it was on this day that he was given the name Jesus. It was the same name that the angel told Mary, Gabriel told Mary earlier on in Luke. And it's the same name that was told to Joseph. Now, can you imagine this, right? Joseph and Mary had their own angelic interruptions in the beginning of the Christmas story on their own. And the angels told both of them, you will name your child Jesus. And can you imagine as all the events are coming together now, eight days later, they're circumcising this child who is Christ the Lord, and they name him the name Jesus. They didn't name him after Joseph, which would have been customary coming from an earthly father perspective. They named him Jesus. This name Jesus is a special name. This name Jesus is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew name Joshua. Now, Joshua is a popular Old Testament name. It was a popular first century Jewish name. And it wasn't just because Joshua was the Joshua that we read about in the Old Testament as the man that proceeded after Moses to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. It's not just because of that. But we also know that Joshua himself went through a name change. Name changes are a big deal in the Bible like Saul, who became Paul. Like Jacob, who became Israel. Name changes are a big deal. In Numbers 13, verse 16, Moses gave Joshua his name. His given name was Hashua, 
Hashua means salvation. When Moses changed his name in Numbers 13, 16, he was given the name Joshua, and his name means Jehovah is salvation. God is salvation. That is what Jesus' name means, that God is salvation. Within the context of the Old Testament, this name shouted to the people that God accomplishes deliverance. Deliverance from the bondage of sin. Jesus saves us from the penalty and power of sin. There is something about the name of Jesus. Just very quickly, let me just read four quick verses about this name of Jesus that is attached to this person, the Godhead, the Son, Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we can be saved. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11 Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Romans 10.13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The name of Jesus isn't just that name that changes us and our history, our destination, changes our circumstances from sinner to saint. But at the name of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, even the demons are subject to the name of Jesus. Jesus, as he is, this baby born, is truly a unique, set-apart figure in history. It will be at his name that nations will rise and fall, and that the world will be brought to its knees. After his circumcision, the next thing that we read in verse 22 is about a month goes off the calendar. So we have his birth, eight days later, and now about a month later. And this is what we read in verses 22 and 24. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Luke clues us in to what's going on when the days of their purification was complete. Now under the Mosaic law, this is the law of Moses, a woman became ritually unclean after giving birth due to the issue of blood. They were ritually unclean. Leviticus 12.2 tells us that. She was, she was considered unclean for 33 days after giving birth to a male 
as Leviticus 12.4 indicates. So on the 40th day after the birth, she was to present a sin offering to the priest at the sanctuary to atone for her uncleanness. Now, just to clarify here, this idea is ritual uncleanness. It's not sin. It's, it's the, because of the issue of blood, they were, the, the person was unclean and could not uh, go to the temple to worship and celebrate until there was an atonement for her uncleanness. And so that's what Mary and Joseph were doing. As they were in Bethlehem, they made their way to Jerusalem some six miles in the hill country to Jerusalem to present the offering that was required. Luke tells us that they made that six-mile trek to Jerusalem, and upon entering the temple to present their son, a sacrifice was needed. Now, the text tells us in Luke chapter 2 that they offered the sacrifice that was required to turtle doves. In a partridge, in a pear tree. That'll be the only singing you ever hear me say from this pulpit. They entered the temple. They presented the sacrifices. Now, Leviticus 12.6 required a lamb unless the couple was poor. Leviticus 12.8 allows for the sacrifice of two turtle doves. And so what we know about Mary and Joseph, who came from Nazareth and Galilee really from a no-name place, as we talked about a few weeks ago, a backwoods kind of country, right, that was kind of forgotten in the middle ground between Israel around Jerusalem and the nation of Israel to the north that had mixed with the Gentile nations of the north. And it was kind of this place that was looked at with disdain that when God visited Mary and said, you will give birth to Israel's Savior, that you will go to Jerusalem that he will be born as Micah the prophet had promised in Bethlehem. And when she came to present her offering, she didn't have much to present. The man she was engaged to, Joseph, was just the same way. There was no title, there was no prestige. But they came to offer their son as a sign of dedication. It wasn't just to atone for her uncleanness that they presented the child. The Old Testament required that all firstborn males were to be presented to the Lord as a gift, as a promise that this life is a stewardship. Mary and Joseph remind us that God does not call us to be self-sufficient. They didn't have much to offer. But they offered what they could. And we see that we don't have to get everything together to come to God. We present what we have. We present who we are. And that's enough. And some of you this morning might think, hey, you know, with the the new year coming, maybe this will be the year I kind of get some things together and I'll start off fresh and I'll, I'll give God this new whatever. But let's remember that God meets us where we are and that he... He requires that we give what we have, no matter what it is, and that's enough. 
Mary and Joseph didn't consider the law. And yes, there was an allowance for the poor couple, but they didn't say, oh, well, you know, two turtle doves versus a lamb. I know this is the better one and God might think differently, but they, they did what God required. And so we see as they presented their child to the Lord, they met someone. They met two someones. And the first one is introduced to us in verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said. So let's just stop right there and just consider this man for a second. This man named Simeon. Now, both of the people that we're going to come in contact with this morning, Simeon and Anna, they are the epitome of Jewish piety in the first century world. They were people that were longing for the promises that God had made. They weren't just religious, external people that kind of went through the motions and said, okay, I'm a Jewish person, this is what I do. They were people that lived their lives with every breath that they had, longing and expecting God to do what He had promised to do. Their lives were focused and centered on His promises. What do we read about Simeon. First, he was a righteous and devout man. This phrase means that he behaved well towards people and was faithful in his service to God. He was a man that had a heart seeking the things of God. I pray that we could all be people that God would say are righteous and devout. What's interesting about this man is that he was looking for the consolation of Israel. He's looking, right? The idea behind the word looking, as Luke is kind of grabbing our attention, is that this wasn't just something that he casually did. He, this was something that he was constantly looking for. He was scouring. He was up and down, side to side. Everywhere his eyes went, he was looking for the consolation of Israel. Now, this word consolation is a unique word. And the phrase, the consolation of Israel, is a unique phrase. It carries the idea of comfort. It carries the idea of a mother comforting their children. Now, if you're a child, you know that, yes, mom and dad offer consolation at different times. And yes, mom's consolation is often different than dad's consolation. The consolation of Israel. We read three times in this passage, in, verses 20, in verse 25, in verse 26, and in verse 27, kind of in a row, that the Holy Spirit was leading Simeon to the temple to find the child that he had been looking for. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, It was revealed by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. Verse 27, 
And he came in the Spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit is working in this man's life. He was open to the Spirit's directing and leading. He was close with God, and the Spirit was working, and he was attentive to that. There's a correlation there. Now, what's interesting for Simeon at this point is the Holy Spirit would have come upon him, but did not live in him. For us, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are promised the gift of the Spirit, the Comforter, that He lives inside of us. But the correlation is still true. When the Holy Spirit speaks, if we are not walking with the Lord, we cannot listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if, if um, Simeon was, was kind of like, hey, I'm hoping for the Messiah, I'm hoping for the Deliverer, but he wasn't walking with the Lord, and the Holy Spirit is kind of like shouting to him, hey, over here, go here, and he's not in tune with the Lord, he wouldn't have gone to the temple that day, and everything that he was waiting for, he would have missed. But he was in tune with God's voice. And he was always keeping his eyes upon how God would deliver his people. He was hungry to see the Messiah. The Holy Spirit led Simeon to go to the temple and see the baby. Now, can you imagine that? We don't know how old he was. We infer by the text with what Luke says that now that he has seen the Lord's Christ, he can what? He can die. That he was probably of some significant age. It wasn't like he was 15 years old. He had lived long enough that he had seen so much, and now the day has come. And can you imagine the thought in his brain? Okay, I've seen him, now I can go. He wasn't in dread. He was like, "Uh uh-oh, my time's up. He was like, yes, I've seen him. God's promises are true. And this man that had been looking and looking, can you imagine? He's hanging out in Jerusalem around the temple, He's watching. He's watching for the deliverer. He's watching for the consolation. He's watching for the comfort that God would send to Israel. He's watching and watching and watching. And the Holy Spirit leads him into this place. And what does he see? A baby. Now, at first thought, if I were to see a baby and and expect that there would be deliverance and restoration and all of the good things that the Messiah would bring, I would see that child and think, eh, Maybe not. But Simeon didn't respond that way. Now, I wouldn't recommend that you grab any child that you see and just lift them up and bless them, but Simeon took Jesus into his hands. And the preciousness of this life and the ministry that is to come. And Jesus hasn't done anything yet except cry, wet his diaper, and eat and sleep. He didn't do anything yet. He didn't teach anything yet. He didn't confound anyone yet. He's a baby. And Simeon takes this child and lifts him up, and he blesses God. He sings a song to the Lord for the great work of what God has done in accomplishing the consolation for Israel. And nothing has been said yet of what this child would do. But Simeon knows. He knows what the scriptures teach. 
He knows what God has promised. The text doesn't say specifically, but Simeon also knows now he can go home to the Lord. His life is fulfilled. And his life wasn't getting to retirement, padding his, his 401k, being successful in business, raising a large family, paying off his mortgage, buying a new car, having all of these degrees. His life was wrapped up in a child who would be the consolation of Israel. His life was focused on seeing God fulfill the promise of a deliverer. In the same way as Simeon looked and longed, we are also called to look and long and see for ourselves. Titus chapter 2 says it this way, that we are to look for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Do we live our lives looking like Simeon was looking? I mean, really. Did you wake up today and not say, well, I'm going to church. Did you wake up today and say, I'm looking for the appearing of Jesus Christ? Is your life so focused and saturated with the glory of God revealed in the promise? And here's the great thing for us. We may not know the day, the time, or the hour, but we know that within a moment, the Lord Jesus is going to return in the air for us. And he came the first time. Why wouldn't he come the second time? Are we looking? Are we longing? Are we expecting? And are we living as if the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return at any moment? And when his eyes met the eyes of Jesus, Simeon's heart opened with praise. And we call this song the Nunc Dimittis. It's the Latin name of the song. It was translated in the Latin Vulgate from the first two words of the song in the Latin translation of now released. This is what Simeon says. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. What a song by the Jewish man in a Jewish temple. What does he say? What does he sing in glory to God for what he is witnessing? Well, first he says he's released as the bondservant waiting. He's ready to go. But he acknowledges something about this child. My eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon didn't sing, my eyes, my eyes have seen a part of your salvation or the first step. He says, I've seen your salvation. This baby that he holds is everything that Simeon needs. And like Simeon, our hearts should erupt in praise when we consider that Jesus is all that we need for salvation. 
Simeon didn't say anything about, well, okay, now that I saw the child, I have to do these five steps. He's holding salvation in his hands. And he sings God's praises. I wonder if we consider the wonder of deliverance. If yesterday we took time to rest in the knowledge that the light has shone into the darkness. And that we have been rescued from the trouble that our hearts face. I pray that we can sing like Simeon when we consider the Lord's Christ coming to us. I love what he says about this salvation. Right? He was longing for the consolation of Israel. What does he say about this salvation? Which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Who is this salvation for? Is it just the Jewish people? No. And it was never God's intention. In fact, the Old Testament is loaded with promises and truths that shout that God will deliver the world. Simeon understands that. He wasn't prejudiced and saying, this is only Israel's Savior. No, he's saying, I'm holding the world's salvation. I'm holding the Gentile's salvation. I'm holding everyone's salvation in my hands. And as he's singing this song, Mary and Joseph, as we read, are taking it in. Verse 33, and his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Can you imagine being Mary and Joseph at this point? He's singing this song. The shepherds had come to visit. The angels had shown up to speak. Somewhere down the line, maybe up to two years later, three wise men from the east are going to show up bearing gifts. Like, this child that, that God has given them, that they know is loaded with all of these Old Testament promises and truths. Like, they're, they're incredibly amazed by this, but they're not just holding it for themselves. The, the world is reacting. There are God-fearing people reacting to the promise of deliverance. And they're treasuring, and they're considering, and they're pondering Much like when Elizabeth had sung over Mary when she visited in her pregnancy. She pondered and wondered and held on to those words. So as Mary and Joseph are overwhelmed taking it all in, Simeon blesses them. Much like Elizabeth blessing Mary. But Simeon's blessing is a bit different. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Here's what Simeon prophetically knows being full of the Spirit. This miraculous baby that was brought, that has brought much joy to his parents. The same that the shepherds came to watch. 
and that wise men will see later, this child, God's son, will cause many to fall on their knees. It will happen two ways. It will cause some to fall on their knees in humility and they will be raised up as they place their faith in what this son has done. But it will also cause many to fall on their knees tripping over who this son is and they will fall flat on their face. As this child's mother watches, her own soul will be affected. I don't know if this is the first glimpse into what Mary would experience. Mary would have known the Old Testament Scriptures as well as best as she could. But she would have known Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant and the promises that were given about the Deliverer that it would not be easy. But Simeon says to Mary as he is singing God's praises, your own soul will be pierced like a sword piercing a person. Mary would be at the foot of the cross as we read in John's Gospel, watching her son die in a cruel fashion as people are mocking and making sport out of who He is. Her own spirit would be pierced. And so with the joy of Christmas, the good news, you have not so good news that is tucked right into it. But that not-so-good news is really great news for everyone because the Savior was born so that the Savior could die. And the Savior died so that the Savior could be raised from the dead and conquer sin and death. Simeon acknowledges that, sings God's praises for it, that this Son would be the Messiah for the world. And Christmas reminds us There is good news, but it's going to be not so good news sometimes. But then it will be great news for everyone. What's interesting, that last phrase in what Simeon says to Mary is that to the end that thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. What's interesting about this For us today, and the people that we know, and maybe even for you today, is it's not what people think about religion or the church that matters. It's not. Ask people what they think about Jesus, who they say he is. Then you will see what is revealed in their hearts. Ask people to respond to who is Jesus. Even people that go to church and do church things. Watch them as they respond to the person of Jesus. And what He said and how He taught and the example that He gave. Jesus will reveal the heart. He will show us what's going on on the inside. 
And as Simeon finishes this song, another person is in the temple waiting. And her name is Anna. My daughter just looked at me. She, she's like conditioned to that. Anna the prophetess. She has been a widow a very long time. Verse 36 says, And there was a prophetess, Anna the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna was a widow for a very long time. She was married for seven years. She's now 84 years. We're not sure when she got married, but she's 84 years old now, and she's lived a whole long time between being a widow and that day the death of her husband in that day. And what had she been doing every day as a widow? She hung out at the temple. And she prayed to God. And she fasted. And she cried out to God looking for the comfort and consolation of what God was going to bring. And here, this 84-year-old widow hears Simeon's song sees the baby, and what does she do? She began giving thanks to God because everything that she had been longing for was fulfilled right before her very eyes. But what did she do after she met her Messiah? Did she go home? Did she say, okay, my life is fulfilled? No. She hung out around the temple and stayed active in Jerusalem, continuing to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. Simeon and Anna were not the only two looking, longing, waiting. And as people would come to the temple to to worship God and to praise Him, Anna would be there saying, I met Him. You wouldn't believe it, but I saw Him. You wouldn't believe it, but he's here. God has kept his promises. Anna never gave up trusting God and looking. She served God every day. And Simeon and Anna longed for the comfort of God revealed in this child. They came to the place of worship of God, hungry, and God met them there. Do you see that? Simeon and Anna were hungry, and when they met God in worship, He fed them. Are you hungry this morning? Are you saying, ah, turkey or ham was too good last night? Are you hungry? Are you spiritually hungry? Coming to this place where God visits, where we sing His praises, and you feel your needs being met, through His Spirit, through the worship of His name and the preaching of His Word, through the fellowship of the saints gathering that that is His body. Are you able to come to this place of worship hungry 
and be filled by the presence of Jesus. And so as we close, I I just want to ask you, do you see Jesus as the all-sufficient one? The only one that you ever need? Can you be like Simeon and Anna, longing and waiting and anxiously seeing God's deliverance? And trusting that God has kept His promise to come to you to save you. I pray that we can respond with great faith like they did. To know that God has eternally changed everything as we, as, as we have received His gift. And that gift is God's salvation. And His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we